I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert and joining me today is Sarah Dowdy. How are you, Sarah? I'm well. How are you, Katie? Good. I'm going to start you off with a quote today by a very famous man and you can guess who it is. Okay. Man is a marvelous curiosity. When he's at his very, very best, he is a sort of low-grade, nickel-plated angel. At his worst, he is unspeakable, unimaginable. And first and last, and all the time, he is a sarcasm. I'm going to hazard that was Mark Twain. Bingo. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're talking about Mark Twain, Mr. Literary Genius, and we'll start with his childhood, as we do. Samuel Langhorne Clemens was born in Florida, Missouri in 1835. Uh, He was premature and pretty sickly for the first 10 years of his life, which contributed a lot to how his personality developed. He had to stay inside with his mother, so he was kind of coddled, but he liked to rebel with little acts of mischief and, uh, you know, was a, a sweet, good-natured kid, though. Um, and he also had a lot of remedies that his mother would try to, you know, perform on him, which might have added to kind of some quackery. That, the guinea pig child. Yeah, <laughs> happened later in life. He was one of seven kids. I think he was number six of the yeah. seven. Um, Orion, Pamela, Pleasant, Margaret, Benjamin, and Henry, and only three of them 
I believe, lived out of childhood, and obviously Samuel was one of them. His parents had a courteous but not a warm marriage, he has said. Yeah, and uh, when he was a few years old, uh, the family's fortunes kind of started to change, and they were forced to move to Hannibal, Missouri, on the Mississippi River. Um, and another thing he would talk about is he, you know, he was kind of poor, uh, but the family had this unsettling belief that they would come into money. His yeah. father owned some property in Tennessee, which I'm not sure why, but he believed that would be his fortune in the end. And he he later said that it's a fine thing to grow up rich. It's a fine thing to grow up poor. That's wholesome. But to grow up prospectively rich is not a healthy state. Well, and kind of in between the two, even having the prospect of it behind you and also in front of you, yeah, it may not give you the most healthy attitude toward money, which, as we'll see later, definitely affected him. Yeah, but Hannibal was a nice place for a kid to grow up for a lot of ways. It uh, had a lot of fun outdoor pursuits and uh, some of his favorite boyhood sites like Glasscock's Island and McDowell's Cave later appear in his writing. Um, and as a boy, he also read a lot. James Fenimore Cooper, Sir Walter Scott. He played Robin Hood and pirates with his friends. Um, but it wasn't all super, you know, picturesque. No, you were telling me some <laughs> gruesome stories this morning. I'm <laughs> looking over your notes and it's, it's a little disturbing. Yeah. He, uh, you know, Hannibal was, sometimes a rather violent town. And just in his childhood, he found a corpse in his father's office. We should say his father was a justice of the peace. <laughs> so not quite guy. as bad as it sounds. But he saw a man who was shot die in the street. He watched a friend drown. And he a few days after that, he found a drowned and mutilated body of a fugitive slave. So that all sounds like a pretty traumatic childhood. But maybe it's par for the course for a boundary state at the time. I don't know. And I had read a story about um, his family owned a slave, Jenny, who acted as their nursemaid, and he saw her brutally whipped when he was about six after a little altercation with his mother. So the slavery stuff will figure in his works as well. Yeah, and he was also influenced uh, during his summers, he'd go back to Florida, Missouri, uh, to stay with his uncle, and he and his cousins would be told tales by a slave called Uncle Daniel, who ended up being in part a model for Jim in Huckleberry Finn. And another little fact I like about his childhood was that he was a sleepwalker. One night when he was sleepwalking, he apparently went to his sister's room and picked up the edge of her covers, which was supposed to be superstitiously a sign that someone was going to die. And she did die the next day, which led everyone in his family to think that he had the second sight. And that was another thing that stayed with him, that idea of paranormal activity. And he was interested in science and invention. You know, it seems later in life, too, he takes responsibility for deaths that clearly are not his fault. (laughs) I wonder if that... It started way back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like most, you know, young boys at the time, he takes an apprenticeship and works for a printer. And one story I really enjoy about his apprenticeship that he tells in his autobiography, which I would highly recommend. I've read the Charles Nieder version, although there are a few of them out there. 
Um, but when he was working as a printer's apprentice to make something fit, a sermon, they put JC in for Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, you know, obviously the printer thought that was disrespectful and told them they had better put the full name every single time. They would not be abbreviating it. And so just to be a jerk, he put Jesus H. Christ in all, oh. <laughs> in all instances and got in quite a bit of trouble. But, you know, his, his printing career kind of got off to a start maybe after that, <laughs> despite that. Uh, and he was fortunate enough to have an older brother who was already established in printing and publishing. Um, he, his brother Orion bought the Hannibal Journal and, uh, Samuel contributed sketches and articles as well as you know, doing typesetting and printing work. And isn't that, I think that's the first time he used a pseudonym. It is. And his first pseudonym, <laughs> this might be mangled here, but W. Epinondus. <laughs> Epinondus? Adrastus Perkins. We've had a lot of troubles with their names because we, the entire time we thought Orion was Orion and Pamela was Pamela. Yeah, and we were wrong. His mother <laughs> liked different, um, she liked her emphasis on different levels. <laughs> Definitely. So, Sarah, as you have said, Mark Twain had entirely too many jobs for you to remember. So he went on from this newspaper job and started working at printing shops and was also writing. And then he went to South America. He was planning to go to South America. Sounds like kind of a crazy scheme, but he was going to take a steamboat uh, in 1857 to New Orleans and then from there go on to South America. But he never made it because he was so fascinated by the steamboat, got to talking to the captain and persuaded the captain to take him on as a steamboat pilot apprentice, which ended up being one of his favorite jobs. He absolutely loved it the freedom and um, technical skill and discipline that came with being a, a pilot. Well, and if you got your pilot license, I think you were, it was a pretty lucrative job, although it was, it was tough. You had to know all the different depths and marks and everything of the river, which was not easy. This is also when he first hears the name Mark Twain. He lampoons a senior pilot, Isaiah Sellers, who had published some very short, to the point uh, observations of life on the Mississippi and weather and very straightforward things. Uh, and even though Clemens kind of mocked him, he really liked this guy's pen name. And so he kept it. He did. For his own. To, to his credit, when he started using the pen name Mark Twain, he thought that Isaiah Sellers was dead. Not true. <laughs> if somebody stole your pen name. <laughs> Don't steal mine, Sarah. <laughs> he had to leave steamboat piloting. I think you and I had found different things. I found that it was because um, the war was breaking out and the business was drying up. And, and I think you'd found something else. I heard that he was a little worried he'd be impressed as a Union gunboat pilot. Which, and at some point, I think he was part of a Confederate unit, so I don't think he would have enjoyed that. Well, his his allegiance during the Civil War is a little questionable, though. Right. And he has uh, his older brother Orion was actually a really strong Lincoln supporter, so I guess like any um, 
border state like that, he kind of... Kind of in the middle. Yeah. He quit the uh, Marion Rangers, which was the volunteer Confederate unit, after two weeks. Oh. So <laughs> apparently wasn't too Not dedicated to it. the cause. But at this point, he took yet another job and decided that he would go mine some silver. I would really like to see Mark Twain's resume. <laughs> <laughs> I think there would be some gaps in there. It might be hard to explain. <laughs> but he wasn't a very good miner at all. No. And he also started investing in timber and silver and gold stocks at this point. And, you know, we talked about his father's belief in prospecting. Uh, Mark Twain was also, or Clemens still at this point, was not a good businessman. No. But part of this experience when he was mining um, went into his book, Roughing It. So it was good for his literary career, if not for his pocketbook. And during this time, he also starts writing letters to the Virginia City Territorial Enterprise, uh, which are so impressive, they catch the attention of the editor who offers him a job as a reporter. He takes on his third apprenticeship in life <laughs> um, and starts to be a journalist. And people started to know Mark Twain's name in 1865 when he published a short story called Jim Smiley and His Jumping Frog, which got picked up by papers all across the country, and people loved it. Yeah, it was a story he learned while mining, actually. So his varied work experience influenced his writings. <laughs> Lucrative in a different way. And mm. he got hired at a different paper and started a sort of travel writing career which, again, ended up being very lucrative for him. And he was able to publish the account later as Innocence Abroad in 1869. And that was also, uh, his traveling during that time also had another important effect, didn't it? He met Olivia Langdon, who had become his wife, and I am kind of obsessed with her, as was he. So <laughs> I'm really excited about this. She was the daughter of a wealthy coal merchant. Their family was very progressive. They were abolitionists. And he once referred to her as my faithful, judicious, and painstaking editor. He was very, very much in love with her his whole life. And Sarah and I found a bunch of letters between him and his wife on marktwainproject.org, yeah. where you can go read and, and see all the sweet things they wrote sweet. to each other. He makes his first attempt at a novel in 1873, The Gilded Age, and Tom Sawyer came out in 1876, which has not ever gone out of print. It's an extremely popular book still today. Yeah, and Clemens was actually so taken by uh, the character Huck Finn in Tom Sawyer that he decided that Huck needed his own narrative and started to write uh, Huck Finn's autobiography the same summer that Tom Sawyer was published and decided pretty quickly, too, that it needed to be uh, written in Huck's own dialect. And he worked on Huck Finn, which I think most people would consider his masterpiece. Right. He worked on it for years and years and would take on other projects. And he didn't actually publish it until 1885. And Ernest Hemingway said of Huck Finn, all modern American literature comes from one book by Mark Twain called Huckleberry Finn. And then goes on to say, there was nothing before, there has been nothing good since. So those are pretty high accolades for a book. And I also like this man, Hal Holbrook, who starred in a one-man stage <laughs> show of Mark Twain. So, you know, he obviously had a pretty intimate understanding of Mark Twain playing him for 
years, uh, wrote that he made American speech something to be admired. And I think that's a really good point. If you haven't read Huck Finn, I would recommend that you do so. But of course, I'm an English major, so I would. But the dialect is really interesting to yeah. read. And you you do, it does something to the book it's, that you couldn't have gotten otherwise. It's not trying to be like anything else. No. And it really did seem like the first thing. And it was so just truly through and through Truly American. American. So he moves to Europe for a while and publishes some more books, A Tramp Abroad and The Prince and the Pauper among them. Yep. And he also travels up the Mississippi and starts taking notes for life on the Mississippi, talking about Mississippi. Let's sure enough. It. <laughs> um, but he also starts making pretty bad investments at this point. Yeah. Even more bad investments, especially his support for James Page, who was working on an automatic typesetting machine. This is the worst thing ever. He, he <laughs> committed over the years, he committed like a couple, two, $200,000 or so. fortune between 1880 and 1894 to this machine. There's... um there actually is one in the Mark Twain House Museum, but they're afraid to ever take it apart because no one might be able to put it back together again because it was notoriously finicky. And he was riding so high at this point, he has a successful biography of uh, Ulysses Grant, and he writes uh, Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Uh, he actually thinks that that's going to be his, uh, quote, swan song to literature because right. he thinks his be investments us. are all about to really, you know, start bringing in the big money. He thought this machine, he's quoted as saying he thought it would be bigger than the train, the telephone, or the cotton gin. And it turned out that the linotype machine came out and made it immediately obsolete. obsolete. Yeah. So uh, Clemens goes into huge debt, uh, manages to transfer the rights of his literature to his, his wife. copyrights to Libby, which I think he originally didn't want to do. He thought he would just sell those and get them out of debt. And she was the one who kept trying to convince him not to, saying that's, that's their what investment. would save them. That yeah. was their investment, the copyrights. And of course, she was right. Yeah. So he transferred his money to her and declared personal bankruptcy in 1894. Yeah. He was really bad with money. He kept investing with all the wrong people and just spending it in ways that don't make sense from a business perspective. Yeah. And so since he's forced to keep working, he starts to think more about his legacy and tries to cultivate a serious tone. Uh, but can't, he can't, by this point, he can't get away from the Mark Twain humorous persona. Right. That's how, what people wanted him to be when they saw him and when they read him. They wanted him to be funny. Yeah. And a lot of, Tragedies start happening at this point in his life, too. In 1895, his daughter Susie dies of spinal meningitis. She was only 24, I think, and it was absolutely heartbreaking for both him and for Libby. They'd said they'd never got over it. They had three daughters, and, uh, you know, despite, despite him being away traveling a lot, he was very attached to them. Extremely attached to all the women in his life, actually. He had also, they'd had a young son named Langdon who died, I think, when he was only 19 months old of diphtheria. So yeah. this wasn't the first sad thing to happen to their family. Uh, but soon after Susie died, his another daughter, Jean, was diagnosed with epilepsy. Um, and the family spent a lot of time and money traveling to different doctors looking for a cure for her. 
which they didn't find. Um, but to offset some of the sad stuff, I found a list of books they had in their library that their family enjoyed reading, which made me happy. Um, <laughs> Through the Looking Glass, Uncle Remus, Robin Hood, Little Lord Fauntleroy, which Sarah said she didn't know was an actual I book. I thought it was an outfit. <laughs> Uncle Tom's Cabin, and the whole family liked reading together. Um, Coleridge, Kipling, Shelley, Tennyson, and Longfellow. Um, Livy really liked Jane Austen, but Mark Twain was having none out of it. He really didn't like her. Um, and he starts to, you know, sort of put his finances back in order at this point, mostly thanks to the help of Henry Huddleston Rogers, who was a standard oil man, uh, who helped him invest and also start building up this reputation as a moral character that we we associate with him now. Right. Somebody who you can go to for these quotes that might be a little colorful or funny, but they they kind of take a real strict moral stand on something. Well, yeah, a lot of them start to get very political after a certain point. Yeah. He's really anti-imperialist. And I think he was vice president of the anti-imperialist society. Yeah. For a long time, and he was also against anti-Semitism and slavery, and was very vocal. He was he was extremely vocal about the Belgian rule in Congo. Actually, right. he wrote uh, an essay regarding King Leopold and Congo uh, that was so intense that it wasn't published anywhere. And he got in trouble for some of these stances. He gave a really I guess, sarcastic introduction of Winston Churchill once, and people were scandalized. Because um, a, a lot of these essays are so hardline moral, a lot of people called this period his bad mood period. Which is a bit simplistic, I think. That's not yeah. really what he was going for. Yeah, he was just trying to shake off a little of the lightness of some of his earlier work. Right. And that that world lecture tour made him rich again. It was grueling, but he did make quite a bit of money on it. And actually, for some people, I think, became more famous for his speaking than for his actual writing. And he pockets a few honorary degrees on the way, too, from Oxford. That was his favorite one. He liked to wear the gown around, apparently. He did. I think he wore one of them at his daughter's wedding. Yeah, that might signal... (laughs) <laughs> a bad turn for him. Don't but. wear your fancy ornamental gown when your daughter's in her wedding dress, I would say. But in 1904, Livy dies in Italy. She's been sick for a long time. She was an invalid. And again, the love of his life. So this was huge for him. In his autobiography, he says, and I quote, she was my life and she is gone. She was my riches and I am a pauper. He was absolutely devastated when she died. They'd been staying in this villa that he hated, and he kept thinking if he got her somewhere else, you know, found the perfect palazzo, that she would be okay. And he found it and went into her bedroom that night to tell her about it and remembers her smiling, and then she died Mm -hmm. the next morning. So He writes uh, Eve's diary for her, and he he tended to write poems or pieces of uh, literature for the women in his life as they started to die uh, to memorialize them. And his daughter Jean died a few years after that in 1909, I Um, think connected to her epilepsy. She had a heart attack during an epileptic seizure. Um, And this sort of plunges him into his 
last despair with you know most of his family is dead by this point he has one surviving daughter but she's left she's yeah. left um married and moved to Europe um and so Clemens ends up going to Bermuda um after Jean has been uh, buried goes to Bermuda with his biographer and his last writing was actually humorous back to his old style kind of uh, called etiquette for the afterlife advice to pain. And one of the last things he wrote um, was death. The only immortal who treats us all alike, whose pity and whose peace and whose revenge are for all the soiled and the pure, the rich and the poor, the loved and the unloved. And he writes in his autobiography of being at the funeral of Jean and knowing that he's going to die soon after that. He yeah. was pretty convinced that it, it wouldn't be long. And he did. He he died no more than four months afterwards. I think my favorite quote about him is actually from Livy in one of her letters when she wrote, life is not so interesting when you're away. Because from everything we've learned, it sounds like that's pretty spot on for yeah. Mark Twain. So if you'd like to learn more about Mark Twain and other literary greats, please check out our website and the Stuff You Missed in History blog at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.